0: Good morning. That is our testimony, is it not? Well, it feels like today we are constantly fighting and warring with each other. We fight over what the government should do as it relates to the pandemic. We fight over whether or not to wear masks. We fight over social distancing. We fight over race issues. We fight over police issues. We fight over so many things, and those are just in the last three months. There seems to be less agreement today than before. And it has seeped into the church Sadly, and I cannot help but think Satan is enjoying every moment of this. We are not fighting against the things that war against our souls. We are fighting with each other and saying that our enemy is the person who disagrees with me instead of looking at the enemy that God tells us we face, the world, the flesh, and the devil. James is writing to all believers in his epistle. It's not a letter to a specific church, but again, to believers everywhere. And his focus is on practical Christian living not as uh, Martin Luther had early on assumed as a letter pointing to justification by works, but rather as a letter to believers who know, understand, and believe that they are saved by grace through faith and now instructing them on what they have been saved to, which is good works and right conduct and holiness. Not perfection, but growing in Christ-likeness. A goal of of growing in spiritual maturity. And in chapter 4, James is addressing the issue of our great enemies. Before Andrew Jackson was president of uh, the U.S., he was a major general in the Tennessee militia. And during the War of 1812, uh, his men were in quite low spirits and they were beginning to argue and fight with one another. And finally, he stood up and said, gentlemen, let's remember that the enemy is over there. If James is trying to help us grow in spiritual maturity, then it can be said that the goal of the enemy is keeping us in spiritual infancy. So let's pray together against this for all of us. Father, I pray over this congregation. I pray for a right understanding of your word. Father, that these words wouldn't be twisted, but that your Holy Spirit would minister to us and speak the message that is intended to be heard. Father, I ask that you would use me as your vessel, a broken vessel, to communicate this perfect truth through an imperfect person. Give us eyes to see. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to believe. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We are talking about the enemies. Of our souls. And so, our first enemy that we come across in this passage is the flesh. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In our fleshly uh, desires and, and ambitions, we fight and we argue and we quarrel with each other. We struggle with family members, spouses, children, siblings. We struggle with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We selfishly envy each other. We complain and we fight. And our motives are tainted with, with, with self-centered desires. We are all born into this, not only as it relates to the broken world in which we live, but we are imprinted on us this sin nature. And it remains with us even after we have committed our lives to Christ. So what does that mean for us as believers? It means we are now constantly engaged in spiritual warfare. While as before Christ won us to himself, we had no awareness of spiritual war. We were were just lost and without hope. Now we have this war that wages on until we go home to Christ or till he comes to us. And one of the fronts on which this war is being waged is in ourselves. When we quarrel, when we fight, when we argue, we are submitting to the enemy, we are following that fallen nature. Whose desire is self preservation and and, and self glorification. And these two natures, when we become believers, we have two natures now a, a sin nature and a Christ nature. And those two natures are diametrically opposed to one another. The sin nature is it's it's like a deposed dictator. He has rebels in the country that still want him as their king, but the country has been liberated not to freedom to choose whatever they want, but has come under an authority that seeks the good of its servants and protects them, which is true freedom. Every time we let our old nature with its selfishness and its self-centeredness regain control we end up in conflict and in turmoil with the people around us our selfish desires produce destructive actions it makes us murderers the esv says in verse 2 you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel now, I've been doing this series in James. We started uh, the first part of chapter 1 a number of weeks ago here, and then I continued the uh, second part of chapter 1 and, and 2 and 3 uh, at the 9 o'clock service, which I think are online if you have any interest in going back and filling in a complete picture of James. Uh, and then next week we'll finish James. But we've seen a lot of this connection between, and this was not by design, but a lot of connection between uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching, which was what Dad was uh, doing the uh, with the with the uh, the Beatitudes, and he'll continue that series uh, in August. But here is another example of of a strong connection between what James is saying and what Jesus teaches at the Sermon on the Mount. For when James is talking about murder, he is not saying that it's the physical act of murder itself. But as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I say, anyone who is angry with his brother or insults his brother or calls him a fool is subject to judgment. You see, those attitudes come from the same place as Murder. Sometimes I wonder if I take that seriously enough. Maybe there's too much violence on television and in the news, and and, and murder just sort of is a word that just flies by me. And and it shouldn't be. It should be a word that greatly disturbs us, but it shouldn't disturb us because we think that that word is is an exaggeration of the seriousness of quarrels but rather we should be disturbed because we do not take relationships seriously enough. You covet, and you cannot get what you want. When you covet someone's uh, possessions or their position or their authority or their uh, house or their lifestyle, then bitterness and, and vindictiveness become a lens through which you look through everything. People at war with themselves are at war with themselves because of selfish, covetous desires. Those people are, are, are rarely happy people. They are rarely thankful people, thankful for the blessings that they have received from God because they're too busy complaining about the blessings that they do not have. Covetous desires lead you not only into wrong actions, but also into praying wrong prayers. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, let me be very honest here. This has caused me to examine my own prayer life And I notice a lot of I, me, my. What is it that I really want? What am I asking for? I ask for things that I think are for my benefit, that will benefit me. And when I get frustrated at those prayers not being answered, my frustration towards God, it it spills out and over into my frustration with people. You become angry with with people whose prayers are being answered and you covet what they have and you believe that God is, is mistreating you in some capacity and He's letting you down. Why doesn't God give you the things you pray for? It's because you're praying with the wrong motive. You are asking wrongly to spend His blessings on your fleshly passions rather than on service to God and others. Now, listen, that doesn't mean you don't ask for things that may benefit you. Don't mishear me. But rather, question your motives. What is at the core of what I desire here? Let me give you an example. Here's an example prayer. Lord, I desire to live in a nicer neighborhood so I can be uplifted by my neighbors who will most likely be believers and so as not to be tempted by my current wicked neighbors. (laughs) Interpretation, I hate this place. Get me out of here. (laughs) Versus, Lord, I understand. I just had a conversation, an interview with Rosaria Butterfield, and this came up as we talked about the gospel comes with a house key and, and, and so a lot of this thinking has come from my conversation with her but, 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 but rather than praying down that track and trying to manipulate God we're all very good at that I'll just use more pious words and he will listen more clearly <laughs> Lord I understand that you have me here for a reason help me to have a heart that seeks the welfare of those around me that you would use me to reach the lost and encourage the saints. Or even, Lord, you know my fears in building relationships with people who are different than me. Help me, help give me boldness and confidence. Let me see people as you do. There's a, there's a difference there between what your desire is in those prayers. The flesh... Then James comes to the second enemy, the world, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The, the word world here, it, it's referring to the world system controlled by Satan. The root cause of every war, whether it's an internal human conflict or, 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 or wars between nations, the root cause is rebellion against God. And the world system is in a state of continual rebellion against God. It started in the garden, and it continues till today. Do you see how James describes our running to the world and the world system? He says it is adulterous. God has rescued us, as Paul writes to the Colossians, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But when we run back to the darkness, it is like an unfaithful partner running back to their other lovers. And it is very serious. It is very dangerous. And what does running back to the world look like? Well, it looks like being a friend with the world. It looks like worldliness. It looks like finding your identity in something of this world. It looks like taking rather than giving. It looks like entrusting yourself to the world. It looks like a life that is opposite to the life of Christ, Christ who loved people and died for them, but who never got entangled with the world's entrapments. I had a friend who told me of a time when he was a young believer, uh, but he was very much in friendship with the world, and an unbeliever, uh, unbelieving friend walked up to him, and, and uh, he came up to my friend who was intoxicated at a party, and he said, you are the coolest Christian that I know. <clears throat> you don't live like the rest of them. This was essentially this person's way of saying, you look more like me, not in your vulnerability and brokenness, but in the pride with which you display your sinful nature. It wasn't that he was trying to make inroads to, uh, to people for Christ. It was that he liked drinking to excess and numbing his feelings and emotions. And his friend unknowingly put his finger on a problem in my friend's life a conversation he will never forget and one of which he was convicted of. And that friendship with the world, James says, equals being an enemy of God. Now, as a note, we are at peace with God because of Christ, right? Uh, We are at peace with God because of Christ, right? Right? I know dad's more into the feedback thing than I am, but I'm trying. We were once enemies, but are now reconciled, right? Not based on what we have done, but based on what Christ has done, right? And that cannot be lost or reversed, right? So how can we be enemies of God and friends? I think what James is doing here is he is issuing a warning to take seriously our proclivity to go back to the world, to make friendship with the world and its systems. He's saying, don't let this be a marker in your life. Rather, verse, verses 7 to 10, submit, resist, draw near, repent. Repent. We'll come back to those. The flesh, the world, third enemy is the devil. For James says, but he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's important to notice that we fight our spiritual battle on three fronts. And each front corresponds to the three persons of the Trinity. The world is in conflict with God the Father, the flesh is at war with God the Holy Spirit, and the devil opposes the Son of God. So what are we to make of the devil? There is a person, a spirit behind the attempt to overthrow God. We not only wage war against our flesh and its corruption, We not only live in a broken system that that pulls us away from our Creator, but we also face an adversary who personally desires to devour us, to fall like He did, to choose not God like He did. And He comes, not as our picture seems to illustrate, with horns and a pitchfork like a cartoon character, but he comes as an angel of light and he whispers as he did to christ in the desert choose self choose me and it's very subtle and it's covered in lies as he is the father of lies these my brothers and sisters are the enemies not one another not the lost not amoral things. These are your enemies, and they may use those things, but ultimately it is the world, the flesh, and the devil who wars against our souls. So that's the bad news. What do we do with that? Praise God he has not left us as orphans. Praise God He has not abandoned us. Praise God He accomplishes His work. Praise God that He has provided for us. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. God is not defeated. Satan may rage harder than he ever has before, and 2020 seems to be his year, but it matters not. God protects and looks after His own even if that only be ultimately in eternity. Do not start thinking that you can fight against the world and the flesh and the devil on your own. That would be a terrible mistake. I've been reading a book written in the 1600s by one of the Puritans, Thomas Goodwin. Uh, Jeremy's made the introduction for me in which Goodwin wanted to encourage Christians, keeping one's heart and faith pointed in the right direction towards Christ himself. He sets forth the glory of Christ and his work as mediator as the only object of one's faith and affection. He wrote it because he was noticing that many believers were beginning to stray in their faith by looking into their own hearts for the signs of grace instead of looking away from themselves to Christ. The tendency was arising out of this quest to find assurance of salvation. Time and effort was spent of one's life examining looking at their soul to detect any signs or evidence of saving grace. How subtle the temptation for the soul to cling to these internal evidences and treat them as the sole ground of confidence before God. This is what the world does. The world says, I'm a good person. Of course God will let me into heaven. And some of these people during uh, Goodwin's day in the 1600s began to look within themselves and they found no signs and they were depressed. You see, Christ is our only source of justification. He is not the stepping stone to us being able to stand on our own. He's the only reason we can do anything and we must not lose sight of that. He gives grace. So, what do we make of this grace? James says, verse 5 the Spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, meaning the Spirit of God will warn you and seek to guide and correct you. Because the Spirit of God is incompatible with the world and the flesh and the devil. Is that not gracious? The provision of the Spirit? But with an abundance of grace comes a need for a response. In verses 7 to 10, there are no less than ten commands to obey. You see, James does not see this indwelling of the Spirit as this means of, of, of instant and, and effortless sanctification. We, we, we don't just confess Christ and kick back and watch the Holy Spirit while we, we passively watch while he does all the work. It's not an easy road paved with clear skies and and rainbows. Rather, the Holy One may dwell within even while we pursue the pathway of sinful self-seeking. Like we said earlier, we have times and seasons where we are in friendship with the world. There are times when our desire is to feed our old nature. There are times when Satan begins to sift us. And yet, Christ remains in us and with us. The Spirit continues to call out to us, warning us. In the same way, James does not see that that inexhaustible supply of grace as sweeping us along to, to just this effortless holiness. It's not, as they say, let go and let God. You have to respond. The benefits of grace and more grace are ours along the road of obedience and more obedience. But grace also drives us to obedience. Three things that James gives us as, uh, for us to remember as we face our enemy. One, submit yourselves then to God. Two, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Three, humble yourself before the Lord. Submission is obviously not a a popular concept in our world today. We live in an age that prizes rebellion and, and defiance over submission. So what is James saying here? Submission requires a willing act of accepting the authority of God. It requires a willing act of accepting The authority of God. Because we are all under the authority of God, whether we bow willingly or not. Submission is not a passive word. Uh, It holds the image of uh, submitting to a ruler like a a soldier submits to a king. It fights on the battlefield in defense of his king's kingdom. He knows and he recognizes his enemy. Second, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And we know as believers that we did not seek God out in our spiritual blindness, but He drew us to Himself. But here we are talking about ongoing relationship with God. We often turn this phrase on its head, and, and, and we say, well, you know, it would be easier to spend time with God if, if He gave us a more vivid sense of His presence. In other words, we want the promise before the command. But we learned in verse 6 that the more grace is given to those who set their feet on the path of obedience for whom grace has already been given. God enriches with the grace of his presence those who obey and, and keep his commands and seek his presence. We also draw near through the cleansing of our hearts and our hands. Think of all the purification rituals in the Old Testament signifying this uh, inner and outer cleansing before approaching our holy God, as Jeremy quoted from Isaiah. Recognizing His holiness, recognizing His purity, recognizing His otherness. And James, brilliant as he is, recognizes the human heart and mind by reusing the phrase he used in chapter 1, you Double minded. He knows the human heart and its tendency to leave God and run to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We draw near in our confession and repentance because we recognize our inadequacy and we recognize the spiritual battle that is so real with real consequences as we recognize the one who will actually draw near to us for our benefit, unlike our enemies who will draw near to us for our destruction. Finally, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The way up is down. It is grace alone which makes it possible for us to obey any of his commands. Our position is one of perpetual Supplication for grace to obey in order that we may experience more grace, which God gives to the obedient. Do you see the cycle? Do you see the cycle? The purpose of God is to lead us down into the lowest place of self awareness and a lamenting over our sin. As always, The more we pursue his likeness, the more deeply and sorrowfully our sinfulness and our shortcomings are exposed, which drives us to humility, which lifts us up because of God's grace. Then in verses 11 and 12, James gives us a final word of caution. A word of caution against a critical spirit or a judgmental spirit because what a critical and a judgmental spirit does is it cuts someone else down to lift ourselves up. It puts us in the judgment seat. It puts us in God's rightful position. And what more would the world, the flesh, and the devil want than churches that are filled with people who put themselves in the judgment seat with people who think of themselves more highly than they ought, who are bitter and vengeful and not forgiving, who fight amongst each other, who demonstrate unwelcomeness instead of loving kindness. But we serve a great God who has paid too high a cost for us to get caught up in ourselves Therefore, church, keep your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Remember, your enemy is not your neighbor, but your sinful nature, this broken world, and the devil. Keep enlisted as a soldier. Keep submitted to his authority and grace and grace and grace will abound all the more. Let's pray how sad it is lord when we see people who just will not grow in spiritual wisdom and they're stuck in that spiritual infancy and they cling to Cliches and they cling to things that do not build them up and they straddle the fence of the world and Christ's kingdom. It's heartbreaking. And so, Father, I pray that these words of James would not come down on us like a hammer, rendering us useless, but that we would remember it is because of grace that we can listen to these difficult and challenging words. It is because of the grace that Christ has given us in the giving of himself, in the opening of our spiritual eyes to see, and in that we would obey, and in that we would listen, and in that we would have ears to hear, that your grace would abound all the more because, oh Lord, we need it. You know our hearts are to stray, but your grace is all the more. Draw us back to yourself. Draw us back to yourself. Grant spiritual growth and wisdom to those of us, to all of us who need it, which is all of us. Help us, Lord, to see through the lies of the enemy to the truth of Christ. For we pray this in His name. Amen.